Why do kids play sports? Is it to go pro or earn a scholarship? Or are they looking for extraordinary experiences that they can build on for the rest of their lives? I want to help the next generation of parents and coaches keep youth sports about the kids. And I am so glad that you're joining me. And welcome back to the Kid First Sports Podcast. I am your Kid First host, Coach Dave Vasileros. And I want to thank you for being part of the first year of Kid First Sports. We are in 20 countries around the world, and I get to meet incredible people doing things the right way for our kids literally everywhere. Being an athlete while being a kid is complicated these days. Uh, They have to think about and worry about things that I never did growing up in the 80s and 90s. But it's not all bad stuff. For one, kids can now get paid for their status as athletes. And I'm talking about NIL, name, image, likeness. You've probably heard all about this in the college game. But to help us understand what NIL really is and isn't, and the amazing opportunity it is for kids, we'll call them youth athletes, not just to make money, but to learn really valuable marketing skills throughout their life, Mark Kester has joined the Kid First Sports podcast. Mark, welcome. Dave, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, man. Did I say your last name right? Perfect. Oh, yes. Listen, Mark founded a company called The Players NIL, and he spends his days educating athletes and their parents about the opportunities and pitfalls of NIL, and we're going to get all into that. Uh, It's not what it seems in the news all the time, let's put it that way. Before we get into that, though, Mark, you're a sports dad, and I know you're a former athlete. What's one of your earliest memories with your own kids and their sporting lives? I'm the father of five kids, so I have lots of stories, but probably the earliest was in the sport of ski racing, believe it or not. Was Get probably out. one of the yeah, it was probably one of the first early activities that we got involved with. Okay, ski racing. And so where did you guys where did they grow up? You gotta be close to mountains. My, yeah, my family grew up our, our kids grew up in central New York. I wouldn't call them mountains. We okay. often referred to them as bumps. <laughs> Snowy but, bumps. <laughs> but there were seven of them within an hour. And skiing was a mainstream of winter activity in central New York and ski racing became a mainstream of competitive activity in central New York. Get out. Was that something you did or did they pick that up because their friends were doing it? Yeah. So it's part of the evolution, right? So I, I grew up on Long Island, New York, which was flatter than flat. And for 10 days every winter on February break, we would go to Vermont and rent skis or we owned skis at some point. And I skied 10 days a year. But I knew that it was a great outdoor activity. I knew central New York was a long winter. And I told my wife at the time that I thought that we should get the kids involved with skiing, get them out of the house. And so they started at age two and age three with wow. the general ski lessons. And the rest is history. I've done a, I've, I've skied a little bit. Someday I'll have to share the snowboarding story. Literally the worst three hours of my life was snowboarding. <laughs> but we'll talk about that another time. Okay, so they were skiers, but that wasn't all they did, right? As they grew, they played a bunch of different sports. How did you approach that with your kids? Did they do a whole bunch of different sports? Yeah, a whole bunch of different things. I think my background as a high school athlete, as a college athlete, as the son of a high school uh, gym teacher, I knew that athletics was going to be part of our lives. At least I hoped that it would. And it ended up being that way. But we did all the community activities, right? We did youth soccer, commonly referred to as sheep 
soccer as they run around and chase the ball, right? I have one son that played one day of T-ball. And after his teammates were chasing butterflies in the outfield, he said, Dad, I don't think I really want to do this anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we participated in all those youth activities. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And you said you had how many kids? Four? I have five. I have five. 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 Oh, it's awesome. Did they compete with each other around sports? Was there a competitive spirit amongst the kids? Yeah, they compete with each other around everything, not just sports. <laughs> Whose turn was it to do the dishes? Whose turn was it to take the garbage out? He got more food than I did. I used to sit there. Why is she sitting there now? You can imagine five kids relatively close in age. Everything was competitive. Yeah, man. You know what? That just brought back such good memories, good slash annoying memories of myself growing up with my two older brothers and fighting over who had to sit on the hump right in the back seat. Oh my gosh. I was the hump sitter because I was the youngest and there was just nothing I could do about it. With five kids who all played sports, you probably had a hundred different coaches that they had. And you growing up as a high school coach, or excuse me, a high school player and a college player, you probably had a dozen different coaches. Is there a coach that sticks out or two that sticks out either from your own experience or from your kids that really made an impression on you guys as a family? Yeah, for me, I would say it was junior high when I was really starting to realize that athletics may be part of my future, more than just the rec league on the playground at lunchtime or the community park at the end of the street, was that I really enjoyed it. I had some aptitude, and I had a junior high gym teacher that pulled me aside once and said, Mark, it's junior high, I think, where sometimes we come to the fork in the road socially, right? Some kids go in one direction, some kids go in the other. Yeah. And although I came from an amazing family and very supportive parents, very involved, I think all kids are vulnerable to peer pressure. Oh, yeah. And uh, this junior high gym teacher pulled me aside and said, I know what's going on out there. I think you should go in this direction. In not so many words, said, if you go that direction, we're going to have a meeting behind the building. And I think it really it made an impression on me. It reinforced that my instincts were right and that I should follow my passion. Wow. Do you remember that teacher's name? Yeah, Mr. Greeley. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I don't know how old you are, Mark, but I'm guessing that was at least 30 years ago, minimum. And Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, and Mr. Greeley, do you remember what he looked like? Sure, he was a, a stocky guy. I think he was a high school baseball player, good athlete, mm -hmm. sandy blonde hair. I didn't know exactly what he looked like. Yeah, and I'm only asking because to demonstrate once again the kind of impact that people like Mr. Greeley have on us as kids you've probably met thousands and thousands of people in your career, in your life. And probably there's a very small percentage of those who you could recall their face, the sound of their voice, what they looked like and what they meant to you and how they had an impression on your life. Again, Mr. Greeley, thanks man. Wherever you are in the world or, or not with us anymore, put Mark on a good path. This is awesome. And I think most of us have a Mr. Greeley somewhere, sometime. And if we don't, we maybe need to be that Mr. Greeley for somebody. Okay. So thanks, Mr. Greeley. You got on a path to playing sports. And what was your main sport? Was it football? My, my passion was basketball. Basketball. But okay. But I, but I wasn't good enough during that junior high period. I, okay. I tell people often, I, I literally dribbled the basketball every day from sixth grade to ninth grade, literally every day of the year. I played basketball constantly, but I was not a a good enough player to really probably play in college, mm. but football was my sport in college. I was a division two athlete in college. That's awesome. And what'd you play? What position? I was a tight end. Okay. And even as a division two athlete, you're in the top 
tiny percentage of high school athletes who do compete in at the college level. And when you played and when I played, there was no real concept of getting paid. If you got a scholarship, that was the extent of kind of the financial remuneration for playing a sport at college. And that's all changed now. It's fascinating to watch. And I can't remember, what was the case? It was a it was NBA case, was or no, excuse me, college basketball that wasn't it basketball players who brought this forward? I, do you remember how that all started? Yeah, it was a player named Ed O'Banion, who was That's a right. uh, basketball player at UCLA, men's basketball. And uh, the story goes, supposedly, it's probably been shifted a little bit, that he one day sat up on the couch and realized that uh, the college basketball video game was using his name, image, and likeness without his permission. And he raised his hand and asked the question, how could this be? And that's what started all of this. Isn't that crazy? And hey, parents, listen, anytime you're tempted to think that video games are just bad, remember Ed, because if it wasn't for that video game and Ed, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And so here we are. So Ed's like, hey, why are they able to do this? And making the connection is someone's profiting off of my name, image, and likeness in this video game, and it's not me. So the question was, who was making the money back then? Yeah, so it was the video game maker, right? EA Sports and the NCAA, because they had licensed the, the uh, rights to do that from the NCAA. But at those days, there was no agreement between the athletes and their university or their college and the NCAA in terms of profiting from that. So yeah, for sure, there were a lot of people making a lot of money. Yeah, and we're going to get back onto this concept of who's making the money and, and what does a lot of money mean for kids. And I, I just think about this, at what point, if you're sitting in the NCAA headquarters, and you're licensing out the NIL for all of these college athletes, does it never occur to them that that this is something that the athletes should be getting paid for? Do you think they knew and they were just avoiding it? Like, where did, is this like a surprise when Ed raised the yellow flag and said, hey, what's going on here? We could probably have another podcast about the history of the NCAA, but <laughs> clearly there was no one there that was concerned, or if they knew about it, they pushed it under the rug, so to speak. I, I think, and I'm not an NCAA expert, but I think in general, most people would think that would agree that the NCAA probably has not been the greatest leadership organization, and they probably haven't managed this whole situation very well. So I think it was arrogance and greed is the answer. Yeah. yeah. And your background, by the way, after college, you did a handful of things, then you ended up in Hollywood. And the reason I'm connecting that is because you just said arrogance and greed and normal people in the world think we don't have to go too far to find arrogance and greed right here in our own neighborhoods, but there's definitely some of that as well in, let's call it Hollywood. First of all, tell me what you were doing there and then how that kind of set you up for this conversation today about wanting to go help NIL athletes. Yeah, so I got the opportunity in 2008 to move to Los Angeles. A group of investors had purchased a small business in Los Angeles, and that business was making uniforms and wardrobe for sports movies. And the company had been around. Their first project was in 1979, North Dallas 40, for those of you old enough to remember, Nick Nolte and Mac Davis. It was a great movie about sex, drugs, and rock and roll in the NFL, right? Mm. And so this company had done the wardrobe and all the uniforms for sports movies all the way up to 2008. And the investors and the leadership in the company brought me in to help run the company. My first role was actually in manufacturing. I ran a manufacturing cut and sew shop with 40 individual sewers 
in the heart of Los Angeles, wow. making sports uniforms for high school and college athletes and for Hollywood. And then two years later, I got the opportunity to become the CEO of that company. And we turned it from a uniform making company to a sports and entertainment company, meaning we now became licensed partners to create all of what we called scripted sports content in Hollywood. So that's TV shows, movies, commercials, photos, anything non-live, people using sports to tell a story. And we did everything associated with that, not just the wardrobe, but the casting, the choreography, wow. the product placement. And our big claim to fame was we were the first exclusive licensee to do that for the NFL, NBA, MLB, U.S. soccer, Major League Soccer. So if you wanted to recreate sports on camera in Hollywood, we were the go-to uh, service company to do that. Get out. It's fascinating. And, of course, you didn't go to college to be a sports and entertainment company leader, right? So you just ended up there. I throw things like that out because so many young people don't know what the future can be. Like they, they think I've got to be a teacher or a doctor or an astronaut or a plumber. There's only those four or five things because that's what they tell me at school. And here you are. Uh, what did you study in college? I was an education major. Okay. So you're an education major. You're the son of an educator. I think you were also, your mom was also an educator? Correct. Okay. So that was in your blood. And then you ended up in Hollywood. It's fascinating. I love stories like this, right? Because we just don't know what the future holds. And it's so vast and dynamic and inviting, full of hope. Did you work on any like famous movies or shows or anything that people would know? Yeah. The first project I worked on was Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Get out. Yeah, that was one of the first big movies. But we did 42, the Jackie Robinson movie, mm -hmm. uh, Draft Day. I worked on several hundred movies and several thousand commercials with LeBron and Kobe and Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and did all the State Farm commercials, all the basketball, Adidas, James Harden. So if you saw an athlete on camera in a commercial, we did some part of that commercial since 2008. That's so cool. That's so cool. All right. Last Hollywood-related question, just because people are interested and very rarely get to be in that close to um, professional athletes off the court, right? You can get courtside tickets and be really close, but to see them at work not playing basketball, what was something that either surprised you or that you thought, oh, hmm, when working with these top-level athletes in a commercial or in a show? They're different not just because they're on TV and making today millions of dollars. They're different in their physical stature. When you stand in a room next to a professional athlete, I don't care what sport it is, they look different. Their hands are bigger, their feet are bigger, their necks are bigger, their bodies are bigger, their shape of their body is different. Yep. Right? You just know, right? Yep. And then we had the spread of preparation. Some were incredibly detailed. Some were incredibly focused. Some were incredibly professional. Some were not. Yeah. And some were entitled brats and some had no rules and some didn't take direction. Right. And so it was the spread of human nature. Yeah. But I think overall, hard work, preparation, competitiveness. Mm. I worked with uh, Drew Brees on an AT&T commercial and he would not let the director finish the day until he got it the way he thought it should be. And perfect. Just attention to detail. And you watch Drew Brees' career. Yep. Maybe he wasn't the most intimidating athlete physically, but mentally, yeah, that guy was competitive and he was driven and he was disciplined. And that's a great example. Yeah, I love it. So when you're working with these athletes, they all have representation. 
right? They got agents, they probably have financial people, legal people, marketing people, like a whole team of people around them, advising them and teaching them how to leverage what they do into uh, more money, kind of stable future. And that's at the pro level. College athletes don't have that, or at least haven't had that kind of representation and advice and guidance. And so when we get into this NIL conversation, when this first hit, I remember reading news stories like people weren't quite sure, but they thought there's going to be tons of money. It's tossing dollars everywhere. Scrooge McDuck swimming through his money, that, that kind of thing. And is it the Wild West out there for kids? Yeah, there's no question about it. Look, I, I just had this conversation with someone this morning. I think, you know, the NCAA did not do us any favors. They totally opened the floodgates on NIL without any guidance, few if any restrictions, certainly no guardrails. And so power, you take ego, you take money, you take athletics, and you shake it up in a bag and you throw it on the table, anything could happen. And that's what's happened. So that's what's been referred to as the Wild West is, look, we understand that there's been incentives for recruiting going on since the beginning of college sports. We're not naive, right? The old brown paper bag in the parking lot handoff, right. right? So we've just taken that brown paper bag now, we put it in the locker room. It's legal and it's transparent. We know who's handing it off and we know who's collecting it figuratively, right? But I think the NIL lack of restrictions colliding with the transfer portal, which is mm. another subject that the NCAA has not handled well, has just created bigger than professional athletics. You have free agency with one-year contracts and no salary cap. And you have a bunch of boosters and interested parties trying to buy wins. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And I think Sunday night, we're recording this on December 1st. Sunday night begins the transfer portal open window in men's or in football, college division one college football. And next week is going to be crazy about athletes moving around, specifically skilled players that are getting yep. paid more than others. I think Matt Rule, the coach at Nebraska, came out this week and said that a top flight quarterback in the transfer portal could be anywhere from $1 million to $2 million for next season. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I saw the headline and my head just went, oh my gosh, how's this money being transferred? What does he mean by that? Who's getting what and who's paying what? And so I'm really <laughs> glad that we have this conversation now because what, and again, I'm not an NIL expert. I'm not really uh, plugged in, but I'm watching kids. I work with kids and I see kids and, and we think about this influencer conversation on social media. Everybody wants to be an influencer. And all that really means is everyone wants to get paid for doing nothing but being famous. And they want to use, the, they want to post things and get all this attention and all of that. And I think of Olivia Dunn. So when I think of NIL, I think Olivia Dunn. Olivia Dunn's a, a, a gymnast. I think she's in Louisiana, maybe somewhere in the South. LSU. Yeah. LSU. LSU, that's right. And she's a, a beautiful young lady. She's clearly very athletic and, and accomplished at her sport. And she has a massive social media following, which I think she has leveraged into making big dollars through NIL. That's what I think of when I think of NIL. Am I, I mean, correct me or, or fix me. It's like young athletes who want to be Kardashians. Yeah, unfortunately, your perception is right on, but I don't think it's true. Mm -hmm. right? I, I would push back and say, that's not NIL. That's influencer marketing. They happen to be athletes. Libby Dunn is the top of the top. Shadour Sanders, Bronnie James, Angel Reese, the other 
female athlete at LSU. Caitlin Clark, this is such a small percentage. It's like saying that everybody that starts a tech company in, in in their college dorm room is going to be Mark Zuckerberg. It's just not going to happen. There's only one Mark Zuckerberg. There's only one Dell Computers. There's only one Mark Cuban, all these great stories. Unfortunately, we grab hold of the sensationalized headlines. And your perception is not wrong. That's what they fed you. That's NIL. I would disagree and say that is influencer marketing. Real, R-E-A-L, N-I-L, is the everyday athlete performing influencer-type activities for payment. And that's what we focus on, and that's what we coach. Yeah. So let's talk about the difference there, because I am a big fan of straight talk with kids. And I'll just preface it with this. I coach 16-year-old boys who play on a competitive soccer team. At the beginning of every season, I talk to the parents and the kids, and I say something like, hey, if you think that I'm going to make your kid a pro or get him a Division I scholarship, you're probably in the wrong place, because I'm not. That's not what I'm going to do. If your kid is going to get a Division I scholarship, it's going to be 99% of things that he's doing on his own and you with your support as a family. And he's going to come and I'll try to teach him some things and give him uh, a, a good platform to test those things that he's working on his own. And I tell people that. I don't think everybody tells people that. I think there's a lot of coaches and probably a lot of folks who are in NIL who are promising things much bigger than that. Hey, you come with me. I'm going to I'm going to get you the big bucks. I'm going to get you that D1 scholarship. I know this and I know that. So this kind of straight talk conversation, I assume you have this kind of conversation with athletes and their families pretty regularly. Yeah, I think it's a society issue, right? If you watch the news, let's put ESPN in there. What do they show? They show the highlights, right? They show the great plays. They show the great players. They show the great stories also. If you watch Entertainment Tonight, what do they show? They show the great Hollywood brands, the Brad Pitts and the, I don't even know who's on it, but the Taylor Swifts of the world, yep. right? And the Travis Kelsey, whole, that whole farcical thing that's going on. <laughs> that's society, right? Again, just like NIL, we sensationalize this really small percentage of what's out there in reality. And look, because athletics is so important, sports is so important to our culture in the United States, because we celebrate athletes that are successful, that get on television, that get recognized. It's natural for parents to want their kids to be successful. And it's mm-hmm. natural for parents to say, I want little Sally and I want little Johnny to achieve those things. I want them to be like put in the star. And that's, but that's been going on for a long time. Academically, you grew up in the East Coast here. How many parents did whatever they could for the kids to get into great ag- academic schools? No the question. Ivy League, for instance, yep. or the Patriot League, the Bucknells and the Lehigh's, Lehigh's these great Lehigh's, schools. Yep. What would you do to help your kids get in there? SAT prep, tutoring, mentoring. Yes. Yeah. And sports is just like that. The only thing is we celebrate it more. It's more public. And there's more opportunities now with travel team coaches, youth coaches, sports-specific coaches, psychologists, massage therapists rehab, position strength coaches, whatever it may be. And so it's easy to get sucked in. And if you have a little bit of success, I believe in anything in life at a young age, it can be like a drug. It can become addictive. And all bad habits, when you overindulge, it can be damning. It can be negative, right? Yeah, takes it. Yeah, it takes you beyond the good. So in a nutshell... What should parents and athletes who are thinking about NIL understand about it? What we teach at our company, the Players NIL, is that NIL is a platform 
that we teach life skills on, okay? And never before in the history of the world have you had an opportunity to create a digital brand, to create a digital resume, and to connect digitally with potential employers, internship opportunities, network in your area of interest. And so how do you do that? You do that through telling stories. And I wrote a piece on LinkedIn this week about, I don't care what business you're in. I don't care what office size you're in. At some point, you have to sell yourself and you have to network within your building, all right, within your department to stand out and be different and to be recognized and hopefully to share your accomplishments and your achievements mm -hmm. for promotion. Yep. And I think NIL is the same way. And it may not change your athletic direction, but it can change your professional direction, right? We can all of a sudden take a soccer player and turn he or she into someone that's interested in music and turn them into a sound engineer or turn them into a production person or turn them into a, an agent or a manager because they now know how to tell their story of what their passion is. We use NIL as the platform where they're already celebrated because they're an athlete. I don't care if you're a division three athlete in a non-revenue sport, all sports in division three are non-revenue, a minor Olympic sport, you were still the best person on your high school team, right? You were mm -hmm. still all league, all conference, all state, maybe even all American. You still were recognized at the end of the year school awards. And why not leverage that little bit of celebrity into making it a, not a four-year thing, but a 40-year thing. And that's what we preach at the Players NIL. I love it. So essentially, it's like a bridge that on the one side is your athletics and the notoriety you get or attention you get for athletics. And on the other side is a lifelong career. And that to me sounds healthy as opposed to the chase for a million followers on TikTok. This is let's use what sports gives you as an experience, as lessons, as the way it develops your character and prepare you for what you're going to do for the rest of your life, or at least part of the rest of your life. I love that message. And I think that's probably the first time I've ever heard that related to NIL, ever. Are, are, so are other people, I know you have competitors out there. What are your competitors saying? Are they saying what you're saying? I, I think there's some people out there that are realizing this, but look, we have two principles of our business, Dave. The first principle is how do you use athletics to better your life? Okay. And that could be academic opportunities, scholarship opportunities, athletic opportunities at all levels of college. And so I think NIL fits into that. How do you use NIL to better your life? I think there's a lot of people focused on the money. And when there's money, they're like, how can I get my piece? They want to be an agent. They want to be a rep. They want to make deals. They want to take commissions. They want to promote a kid maybe to be mm -hmm. something that they're not, connect them with a brand that isn't organic and authentic. Get them in a contract that maybe is not favorable towards the athlete. It's more favorable towards the brand or the agent. Right. And so I, I take a more holistic approach based on my life and all of my life experiences. And so the kids that I've supported and helped through the years have helped me. Has it been perfect? No. But I feel like I have a pretty well-rounded view on what the end game is and what the ultimate goal is. And that's what I preach. And that's what we're focused on. You mentioned that the, the word principle. Said so I have a couple of principles. I think that word is thrown around too cheaply these days in business and, and just generally in life. You grew up with two parents who were educators. 
did they imbue you with a strong sense of principle? Did they show you and teach you the things that were most important and that you were to sacrifice to have those most important things in such a way that now when you're making your own business, you can hearken back to what you learned as a kid from your parents? Yeah, there's no question. I, I was very fortunate. I was in the top whatever percentage that I had two parents who loved their family, who worked very hard to support our family. We were modestly successful financially. Teachers don't make a lot of money, but we never wanted for anything, right? We lived in a nice house. We owned a house. Mm -hmm. We went on vacation. We didn't go to lunch at Disneyland. We brought our brown bags, right? <laughs> we didn't stay in the hotel. We camped in the campground, yeah. but we went, right? Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of principles, good neighbors, right? Good citizens, great parents, great leaders in the community, mm. set a great example, and the work ethic, right? The work mm. ethic. My father's work ethic really set a tone for me. And they just always wanted us, two sisters, they just always wanted us to be happy and successful. I don't think they envisioned me running a sports and entertainment company in Hollywood. <laughs> I don't think they envisioned me launching the players NIL and being a thought leader in this space. They couldn't have thought that way. They didn't no. think that way. They were early, early in their family's first college graduate type mm. people, mm -hmm. right? So they had achieved great things to be a junior high gym teacher and a successful career and retire at a reasonable age with money in the bank was an amazing American dream. Yep. I think those principles that they gave me, are part of who I am today and, and part of what we preach. Yeah. And are, are your parents still with us? My father is passed, but my mother is still. Okay. All right. I hope that she can hear what you just said when this comes out, because I think that's a pretty, that's a, a touching tribute to the people who are probably the two of the most important people in your life. I certainly think that way about my own parents. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so as you're building and thinking about the way you were raised and the principles that guide your life, you thought, I can help kids and here's an area that I can help kids. But you said some of your competitors are wanting to be like agents and get in and be advisors throughout these young people's lives and, and careers. You sound like you're taking more of an educational approach, which, by the way, again, reflects back maybe on your own parents and upbringing. Oh, and Mr. Greeley. Thank you, Mr. Greeley. You want to educate these kids and their families. How do you do that? I think the second principle of our business, right? We only have two, but the second one is how do you use athletics to better the lives of the people around you? How do you make a difference? Mm. And it comes from in 2019, my father passed away. And this was a man that never held political office, never owned a business, never employed anyone. Yet hundreds and hundreds of people came mm. to his memorial service, right? Mm. He had impacted people. And the word that came to me was legacy. And I, I challenged people, Dave, if you disappeared today, would anyone care? What impact have you had on the world? And so I talked to parents and I talked to athletes about using their celebrity, using their status in the community for the better good of not only themselves, but their community. Mm. And I think it resonates with people. In this world today, we have a lot of selfish people. We have a lot of people that think they got where they are by themselves. Jim Harbaugh had a great quote last year. He was talking about a competitive coach, and he said that the coach was born on third base and thought he had hit a triple. He didn't realize you, know, <laughs> that you actually have to work your way around the bases. That's you know? right. 
life is hard and it takes a lot. And so humility is a word that we preach. But I think what we try to teach is that, all right, mom and dad, or division two, division three, non-revenue sport coach, what is your true purpose in life? It's to pass along leadership guidance and create opportunities. Two greatest things parents can give their kids are confidence and opportunity. And I think sports has the ability to do both. And the confidence comes from winning and losing, competing, teamwork, all of those things. The opportunity comes from what that can create. And I think as parents, if we're using athletics for confidence and opportunity, NIL is part of that. Now, you can do it through math. You can do it through science. You can do it through art. You can do it through dance, music. There's lots of ways for parents to manage their children, and every kid's different. For me, it was athletics, and for my children, it was athletics. But I think when I talk to parents and coaches, I talk holistically about how are you going to make this lasting impact? Are you going to be the Mr. Greeley to Sally and Johnny and Jimmy and Jess? How can you make a difference? And if you're a true educator, I think you resonate with that message. Okay. This is awesome. I got a little bit, while you were talking, I got a little bit of chills thinking about that question. If you were to pass today, who would care? And I think about that again, because Kid First Sports podcast is all about the parents and the coaches of kids who are playing sports. And what are we going to leave behind? And, And what I often say is, if you're a coach and you run into a former player 20 years from now, maybe you're home for that weekend and there's a football game and you decide to just show up and you look across and five rows down is your old player and maybe he's got his family there with kids. What do you want that player to do when you seize you? Do you want him to be like, give you a little wave, oh, hey coach? Or do you want him to pick up his kids, grab his wife by the hand and say, come here, you have to meet Mark. Mark made such a difference in my life. And how does that feel to imagine that? And I challenge coaches in my workshops. I'm like, think about how you would feel 20 years from now when they come and do that. Is that worth the effort today to do things the right way, a kid first way. And I think the way you're describing educating and focusing the athletes and the families you work with on those two principles sets it up for when they see Mark in 10 years, they're gonna be like, Mark, thank you. Thank you for helping me see how I could both make my own life and the life of my community better through something I already love. It's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And thanks for taking the approach that way. As you're working with parents, and you and I think we're we're cut from the same cloth, not everybody is, and I guarantee you that there are families and athletes who come to you who don't necessarily think this way, at least off the bat. How many of your clients are you shifting their thinking versus are already in the similar mindset as you? I think much like our conversation here today, Dave, has evolved. I think your understanding of NIL is greater than it was 30 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. I'm fighting the barrier of the perception of NIL, that it's the Libby Duns of the world. And I'm a preacher, right? I'm preaching to the choir, right? (laughs) And I'm trying to make them all converts or to the audience. I feel like I'm one of the leaders in this space because of my holistic approach and because of my more long-term approach to NIL and creating life skills. And so it's hard to be a pioneer. It's hard to be out there. And I've had a lot of parents say, it's not for me because they don't understand what it is. I've had a lot of parents say, are you going to make us deals? So the two extremes. And so somewhere in the middle is always the truth. 
it's a little bit of education and it's a little bit of, okay, there is an opportunity to make money. And yes, there is an opportunity to be seen as an influencer. So that's where we're at. And one of the things that my father gave me was stubbornness. And I'll just say that, right? (laughs) You're going to stick with it. That's right. Because you can tell this is a this is coming from your heart. This isn't just, hey, I think I can make some money here. I can see it on your face and hear it in your voice. Do you have a story of someone that you've helped? Someone who has fulfilled these two principles or at least made progress down the road of fulfilling those two principles through, through the work you're doing with them? I have lots of stories. My legacy is intact. If I disappeared today, there would be some people that care. <laughs> and I'm very thankful for that. You know, First of all, my five children. Right? Mm-hmm. I think their stories are amazing, but it's not about them. I do. I have a, a young man that was uh, a classmate of my oldest son, and we were starting to build a youth lacrosse program in our community. It never existed before. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I got involved with it. And this young man was part of the, the kids on the playground, the kids that all came to the birthday parties. But he probably came from a little bit of a, a broken home and mm. was a, a number of kids, and there wasn't a lot of money. And the last thing in the world, mom wanted to do was buy lacrosse equipment or have to drive him to practice and all those kinds of things. We drove a a Chevy Suburban and in the back of that Suburban was a surplus of equipment because I knew that there were kids that weren't going to be able to afford a stick, afford a helmet. And we started this youth program and this kid didn't show up yet. He had told us and said he would be there. Right. So after practice, we drove past the house and he said, I didn't have a ride. And my mom said, I couldn't do it. We don't have the money. And I said to him, practice on Tuesday, 6 o'clock, 5.30, I'll be here to pick you up. I need help lying in the field and doing some things. You can help me do that. He said, Mr. K, I don't have any equipment. I said, I got it. That kid went on to a full scholarship, became the captain of his college team. He's married with two children. He's a software executive in New Jersey. That's my legacy. I don't have much more to say than that, but and what's his name? Do you mind sharing? His name is BC. Well, BC, if you're listening, Mark is a man who loves you and you can just feel it and tell. And what you just shared, Mark, and thank you for sharing that, is why I'm doing what I am doing. Because I think there are stories like that every day, everywhere. And people need to hear about it. They need to hear this. Those small efforts, an extra 15 minutes of driving for you. It's not a big deal. It's not a big lift. An extra 50 bucks to help here or there with gas or with equipment. An extra conversation that takes a couple minutes after a practice or a game. These things will last forever. And guess what? You remember Mr. Greeley, what he looks like and how he sounds and where you were when you had that conversation. BC's going to remember when he's your age. He's going to remember that time you said, listen, I'll pick you up at 530. You can help me with some stuff. Thank you. This is what youth sports is about. It's about kids and adults just being there for each other. Thank you. And and we'll wrap up with this because I don't think we can top that story. If you have an interest in learning a little bit more about NIL, the real NIL. Check out Mark. I'll put his link in the notes and hit him up on LinkedIn or whatever it is. He'll just talk to you, right? I, so I found him on LinkedIn. He's like, yeah, let's talk. And he just picked up the phone and we talked about it. He'll just talk to you. Um, he's a genuine guy 
and he wants to help. So thank you for being here and for sharing your story and teaching me, frankly. I learned a ton now and, and I'm looking at it a little differently thanks to you. Thank you for listening and tuning in. If what Mark's talking about and what we talk about on this program resonates with you, please leave a review, share this, send it to your family or your friends, or maybe you had a coach who was a Mr. Greeley to you and you want him to know or her that this was the kind of effect they had on you. So thank you. Have a good one. We will see you in a week. This is Coach Dave from Kid First Sports Podcast. I'm out. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. Share with all your friends. Tune in for new episodes as we grow this movement to keep youth sports about the kids. 